Thank you for viewing this Life to Tape video. Life to Tape is part of Fotations, and if you'd like to help, you can visit FotationsDonation.com, where there are ways you can support financially or by donating equipment. If you'd also like to support on social media, that helps out a lot. There's more information on our social media accounts in the links below. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hello, this is the Fotations Life to Tape podcast. We're reading the Junior Classics Volume 1, Fairy on Wonder Tales. This is a podcasting 2.0 uh, podcast, which means you can uh, find it easily on newer apps that support podcasting 2.0. If you want to listen to this podcast on a legacy uh, podcast player like Apple, iTunes, you can you can add the link, the RSS link in this in this podcast, I put it on social media and in the descriptions of the video podcast and the audio podcast, uh, where you can manually add the RSS feed into iTunes and subscribe that way. And that works for all older apps as well that allow you to subscribe by RSS. But we are going to start uh, the reading. The Junior Classics, Volume 1, Fairy and Wonder Tales. The Accomplished and the Lucky Tea Kettle by A. B. Milford A long time ago, a long time ago, at a temple called Morgin, there was an old tea kettle. One day, when the priest of the temple was about to hang it over the heath to boil the water for his tea, to his amazement, the kettle all of a sudden put forth the head and tail of a badger, what a wonderful kettle to come out all over fur. The priest thunderstruck called in the novice or assistant of the temple to see the sight, and while they were stupidly staring, one suggested one thing and another, the kettle jumped up into the air and began flying about the room. More astonished than ever, the priest and his people tried to pursue it, but no thief or cat was even half so sharp as the wonderful badger kettle. At last, however, they managed to knock it down and secure it, and holding it with their united efforts, they forced it into a box, intending to carry it off and throw it away in some distant place, so that they might no more be plagued with this goblin. For the day their troubles were over, but as luck would have it, the tinker who was in the habit of working for the temple called in, and the priest suddenly bethought him that it was a pity to throw the kettle away for nothing, and that he might as well get a try for it, no matter how small. So he brought the ke out the kettle, which had been resumed its former shape, and had gotten rid of its head and tail, and showed it to the tinkerer. When the tinkerer saw the kettle, he offered twenty copper coins for it, and the priest was only too glad to close the bargain and be rid of his troubled piece of furniture, and the tinker trudged off home with his pack and his new purchase. That night he lay asleep and heard a strange noise near his pillow, so he peeped out from under the bedclothes, and he saw the kettle that had he had bought in the temple, covered with fur and walking about on four legs. The tinker stared up in fright to see what it could all mean, when all of a sudden the kettle resumed its formal shape. This happened over and over again, until at last the tinker showed the tea kettle to a friend of his, who said this is certainly an accomplished and lucky tea kettle. 
you should take it as a show with song and accompaniments of musical instruments and make it a dance and walk on the tightrope. The tinker, thinking this good advice, made arrangements with the showman and set up an exhibition. The noise of the kettle's performance soon spread abroad until even the prince of the land sent to order the tinker to come to them and he grew rich beyond all expectations. Even the princess, too, and the great ladies of the court took great delight in the dancing kettle, so that no sooner had it grown its tricks in one place than it was time for them to keep some other arrangement. At last the tinker grew so rich that he took the kettle back to the temple, where it was laid up as a precious treasure and worshipped as a saint. The Adventures of Little Peachling by A. B. Milford. Many hundreds of years ago lived an honorable old woodcutter and his wife. One fine morning, the old man went off to the hills with his bill hook to gather faggots of sticks, while his wife went down to the river to wash the dirty clothes. When she came to the river, she saw a peach floating down the stream, so she picked it up and carried it homeward with her, thinking to give it to her husband to eat when he should come in. The old man soon came down from the hills, and the good wife set the peach before him, when, just as she was inviting him to eat it, the fruit split in two, and a little baby was born into the world. So the old couple took the babe and brought it up as their own, and because it had been born in a peach, they called it Momentario, or Little Peachling. By degrees, Little Peachling grew up to be strong and brave, and at last one day he said to his old foster parents, I am going to the ogre's island to carry off the riches they have stored up there. Pray then, make me some millet dumplings for my journey. So the old folks ground the millet and made the dumplings for him. The Little Peachling, after taking an affectionate leave of them, cheerfully set out on his travels. As he was journeying on, he fell in with an ape who gilbert at him and said ka 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 where are you off to little peachling i am going to the ogre's island to carry off their treasure answered little peachling what are you carrying at your griddle i am carrying the best millet dumplings in all japan if you give me one i will go with you said the ape so the little peachling gave one of his dumplings to the ape who received it and followed him when he had gone a little further, he heard a pleasant calling. Keen, 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 where are you off to, Master Peachling? Little Peachling answered as before, and the pheasant, having begged and obtained a millet dumpling, entered his service and followed him. A little while later, they met a dog, who cried, Bow, wow, wow, whither away, Master Peachling? I'm off to the Orange Island to carry their treasure. If you will give me some of those nice millet dumplings of yours, I will go with you, said the dog. With all my heart, said little Peachling. So he went on his way with the ape, the pheasant, and the dog following after him. When they got to the orc's island, the pheasant flew over the castle gate, and the ape clambered over the castle wall, while the little Peachling, leading the dog, forced in the gate and got into the castle. Then they did battle with the ogres and put them to fight and took their king's prisoners so all the orcs did homage to little peachling and brought out the treasure which they had laid up they had caps and coats that made their wearers invisible jewels which governed the ebbs and flow of the tide 
coral, musk, emeralds, amber, and tortoise shells, besides gold and silver. All these were laid before Little Peachling by the conquered ogres. So Little Peachling went home laden with riches and maintained his foster parents in peace and plenty for the remainder of their lives. The Two Lizards by Anne Kerr In the old days there lived two lizards, Wenabu and Niagara. Wenabu was of plain speech and moreover was unable to cry aloud, but Niagara was, by stretching his long neck, could produce a sweet low sound, whatever after the manner of a whistle. Niagara longed for companions, so he stretched his neck and cried, Woo, woo! Then many women, hearing the sweet sound, flocked to where Niagara sat and listened to his music. The pleased Niagara, and he continued to sound his long note, woo-woo. He sang, and the women sat so still one might have thought them dead or weeping. Woo-woo, on the contrary, had no such to cheer him in his loneliness. What can I do, he said, to draw women to me as Niagara has done? I have not a sweet voice as he. What can I do? As he was speaking, a thought grew up in his heart, and he began to act. He cut a slim piece of hollow bamboo and pierced small holes into it. Thus, the first flute, Dario, was born. Wubu then built himself a platform high in corkwood tree, which we call Troba, on the beach, and seated himself there, he began to play his flute. The women sat patiently around Negri while he sounded one of his notes, woo, but then a sudden upon the still air broke the sweet voice of Wubu's flute. High and sweet, there were notes of which Wubu sent forth from his flute. Mm, mm, said the listening women. Woo, woo, sang Negri. Ah, hiss, hiss, cried the woman. Defend us not with thy woo when we would hear this strange music. Nagri was much troubled at the saying, and marveled greatly. Then one woman made bold to rise up, saying, I shall return. She went to seek the sweet music. Now this woman lied, for she never returned. After a time another woman arose and said, Stay here, my friends, I shall return. When she went in like manner to look for the music, she also lied, for she returned not. And so with each woman until Nagri was left sitting alone as he had been at the beginning. Now Wibu was still playing his flute on the platform he had built in the corkwood tree. When the women came in sight, he was alarmed for the safety of his frail platform when he saw these many people advancing, and he cried, Come not up into the tree, remain below, beseech you, O women. But the women were consumed with eagerness to be close to the music which had taken their hearts, and they climbed all of them until they were upon the platform of Wubu. Then straight away what he had feared came to pass, and Wubu and his flute and the multitude of women fell crashing through the branches of the corkwood tree to the ground beneath. And from that hour until now, all corkwood trees lean toward the earth as it will show thee if thou wilt go with me to the breach where they grow. The King and the Payfowl by Mary Pamela Milhorn One day, once upon a time, the king had a pretty of ladies and gentlemen, and 
art party and band come and play, but the fiddler was too sick, so they could not dance. So the king said, I am going over to friends and ask them to come and sing. So he sent, and a gentleman says he was very glad, and his family was dog, peafowl, and tiger. So he sent Miss Duck and said, Can you sing? Let me hear your voice. They put her in a rocking chair and upon a platform, and the duck say, Aha, Adam, he says, That not what do, seen for the dog. And they took her and put her in a coop, and all the ducks come around and ask her to have her let it out. They then send for the dog, and told him that if a salt beef bone is in the road, he must not pick it, cause he, him rough, it will rough his throat. So the dog did not pick it up, but pass it. And when he g- went, his voice did not suit either. They told the dog to sing, and he said, "How, how, how!" And the king said, "Don't want a matter how he will not do." So they saw the fowl coming. And they asked, Can you sing? And the fowl said, Ka, ka, ka. And they said, That will not do. And drive the, drived the fowl away. And the cock came in ardor. And the cock said, Ka, ka, And they said, That king doesn't want to know daylight. And the king came in and said, All these people cannot sing. What will That will not do. Then the tiger said, You must not pick up a big salt beef and then the tiger said you must not pick a big salt beef bone in the road and the tiger did pick it up and the tiger could not sing and said grum 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 the voice was not to do they then sent for a peafowl but the peafowl would not go away they went back to dinner and all the people went back to dinner, and when they were at dinner in the large house, the peafowl came in and sing, Mikhail Ivory, Mikhail Ivory, Mikhail Ivory, Ivory, why out there? Why out there? Wife Grandy die. The gentleman jump up and say, Alu, what is that? The king said, Sing again, my pretty little bird. And the peafowl, peafowl sang, Mikhail Ivory, Mikhail Ivory, Mikhail Ivory, why are you? Why are you, why are you, wife, gone and die? What, 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 what say the bird setting on the tree sing, Makari, etc. The king says, sing again, you pretty little bird. You dress shall be tipped with blue, and you shall have a beautiful field of corn as present. And the bird sang again, better when he heard, Makari, Makari. McKay Ivory, McKay Ivory, why you, why you, why you, why you, why your wife die? The king jumped up and called a bookie and jumped in the peafowl, and all the horses was richly decked, and all the company very fine drive to the peafowl home, and why the peafowl having such a beautiful dress, and that's why the peafowl has such a beautiful dress. Hansel and Gretel by William and Jacob Grimm Once upon a time there dwelt near a large wood a poor woodcutter with his wife and two children by his former marriage. 
a little boy called Hansel, and a girl named Gretel. He had little enough to break or bite, and once were, and once, when there was a great famine in the land, he could not procure even his daily bread, and he lay thinking in his bed one evening, rolling about for trouble. He sighed and said to his wife, What will become of us? How can we feed our children, and we have no more than we can eat ourselves? No, then, my husband, answered she, we will lead them away quietly early in the morning into the thickest part of the wood, and there make them a fire, and give them each a little piece of bread. When Then we will go to our work and leave them alone, so that they will not find the way back home again, and we shall be freed from them. No, wife, replied he, that I can never do. How can you bring your heart to leave my children all alone in the wood? for the beast will soon come and tear them into pieces. Oh, you simpletons, said she, then we must all four die of hunger. You had better plane the coffin for us. But she left him no peace till he consented, saying, Ah, but I will regret the poor children. The two children, however, had not gone to sleep for very hunger, and so they overheard what the stepmother said to their father. Gretel wept bitterly and said to Hansel, what will become of us? Be quiet, Grethel, said he. Do not cry. I will soon help you. And as soon as their parents had fallen asleep, he got up and put on his coat, and unbarring the back door, slipped out. The moon shone brightly, and the white pebbles which lay before the door seemed like silver pieces. They glittered so brightly, Hansel stooped down and put many into his pocket as he could hold. And then going back, he said, Grethel, Gretel, be comforted, dear sister, and sleep in peace. God will not forsake us. And so saying, he went saying he went to bed again. The next morning, before the sun rose, the wife went and awoke the two children. Get up, you lazy things. We are going into the forest to chop wood. And then she gave them a piece of bread, saying, There is something for your dinner. Do not eat it before the time, for you will get nothing else. Gretel looked took the bread in her apron, for Hansel's pockets were full of pebbles, and so they all sat down upon their way. When they had gone a little distance, Hansel stood still and peeped back at the house, and this he repeated several times, till his father said, Hansel, what do you keep peeking at, and why do you lag behind? Take care and remember your legs. Ah, oh, father, said Hansel, I am looking at my white cat sitting upon the roof of the house and trying to say goodbye. You simpleton, said the wife, that is not a cat. It is only the sun shining on the white chimney. But in reality, Hansel was not looking at a cat. But every time he stopped, he dropped a pedal, pebble out of his pocket upon the path. When they came to the middle of the wood, the father told the children to collect wood, and he would make them a fire, so that they would not be cold. So Hansel and Gretel gathered together quite a little mountain of twigs, then they set fire to them, and the flames came burned up high, and the wife said, Now you children, lie down near the fire and rest yourselves, while we go into the forest and chop wood. When we are ready, I will come and call you. Hansel and Gretel sat down by the fire, and when it was noon, each ate their piece of bread, because they could hear the blows of an axe. They thought their father was near, but it was not an axe, but a branch which had bound 
to the withering tree, and so it was to be blown to and fro by the wind. They waited so long that at last their eyes closed from weariness, and they fell fast asleep. When they awoke, it was quite dark, and Gretel began to cry, How shall we get out of the wood? But Hansel tried to comfort her by saying, Wait a little while, till the moon rises, and then we will quickly find the way. The moon shone forth, and Hansel, taking his sister's hand, followed the pebbles which glittered like new coined silver pieces, and showed them the path. All night long they walked on, and as day broke, they came to their father's house. They knocked at the door, and when the wife opened it and saw Hansel and Gretel, she exclaimed, You wicked children, why did you sleep so long in the wood? We thought you were never coming home again. But their father was very glad, for it was, for it had grieved his heart to leave them all alone. Not long afterward, there was again a great scarcity in every corner of the land, and one night the children overheard their mother saying to their father, Everything is again consumed. We have only half a loaf left, and the song is ended. The children must be sent away. We will take them deeper into the woods, so that they may not find their way out again. It is the only means of escape for us. But her husband felt heavy at heart and thought it was better to share the last crust with the children. His wife, however, would listen to nothing that he said and scolded and reproached him without end. He who says a must say be to, and he who consents to the first time must also the second. The children, however, had heard this conversation as they lay awake, and as soon as the old people went to sleep, Hansel got up, intending to pick up some pebbles as before, but the wife had locked the door so that he could not get out. Nevertheless, he comforted Gretel, saying, Do not cry, sleep in quiet, the God good will will not forsake us. Early in the morning the stepmother came and pulled them out of bed, and gave them each a slice of bread, which was still smaller than the former piece. On the way, Hansel broke his broke his in his pocket, and stopping every now and then, dropped a crumb upon the path. Hansel, why do you stop and look about, said the father. Keep in the path. I am looking at my little dove, answered Hansel, nodding a good by to me. Simpleton, said the wife, that is no dove, but only the sun shining on the chimney. So Hansel kept dropping crumbs as he went along. The mother led the children deep into the woods, where they had never been before, and there, making an immense fire, she said to them, Sit down here and rest, and when you feel tired, you can sleep for a little while. We are going into the forest to hew wood, and in the evening, when we are ready, we will come and fetch you. When noon came, Gretel shared her bread with Hansel, who had strewn his own, strewn his on the path. Then they went to sleep. But the evening arrived, and no one came to visit the poor children, and in the dark they awoke, and Hansel comforted his sister by saying, Only wait, Gretel, till this moon comes out, and then we shall see the crumbs of the bread I have dropped, and they will show us the way home. The moon shone, and they got up, but they could not see any crumbs, for thousands of birds had been flying about in the woods, and the fields had picked them all up. Hansel kept saying to Gretel, we will soon find the way, but they did not, and they walked the whole night along the next day, but still they did not come out of the woods, 
and they got so hungry, for they had nothing to eat but berries which they found upon the bushes. Soon they got so tired that they could not drag themselves along, so they laid down under a tree and went to sleep. It was now the third morning since they had left their father's house, and they still walked on. But they only got deeper and deeper into the wood, and Hansel saw that it did not help. It did not come very soon they would die of hunger. As soon as it was noon, they saw a beautiful snow-white bird sitting upon a brout which sang so sweetly that they stood still and listened to it. It soon fell off, and spreading its wings flew off, and they followed it until it arrived at a cottage upon the roof of which it perched, and when they went close up to it, they saw that the cottage was made of bread and cakes, and the window panes were clear sugar. We will go in there, said Hansel, and have a glorious feast. I will eat a slice on the roof, and you can eat the window. Will they not be sweet? So Hansel reached up and broke a piece of the roof in order to see how it tasted, and Gretel stepped up onto the window and began to bite it. Then a sweet voice called out in the room, Tip-tap, tip-tap, who raps on my door? And the children answered, The wind, the wind, the child of heaven, and they went on eating without interruption. Hansel thought the roof tasted very nice, and so he tore off a great piece, while Gretel looked, while Gretel broke a large round pane of the window, and sat down quite contently. Just then the door opened, and a very old woman walking upon crutches came out. Hansel and Gretel were so frightened that they let fall what they had in their hands, but the old woman, nodding her head, said, Ah, Ah, you dear children, what has brought you here? Come in and stop with me, and no harm shall befall you. And so saying, she took them both by the hand, and led them into her cottage. A good meal of milk and pancakes, with sugar, apples, and nuts, was spread on the table, and in the back room there were two nice little beds, covered with white, where Hansel and Gretel laid themselves down, and though themse- and thought themselves in heaven. The old woman had behaved very kindly to them, but in reality she was a wicked witch who waylaid children and built this bread house in order to entice them in. But soon, as they were in her power, she killed them, cooked them, and ate them, and made a great festival of the day. Witches have red eyes and cannot see very far, but they have a fine sense of smelling, like wild beasts, so that they know when children approach them. When Hansel and Gretel came near the witch's house, she laughed wickedly, saying, Here comes two who shall not escape me. And in the early morning, before they awoke, she went up to them and saw how lovely they lay sleeping, with their chubby red cheeks. She mumbled to herself, That will be a good bite. Then she took up Hansel with her rough hand and shut him up in a little cage with a latex door, and although he screamed loudly, it was of no use. Gretel came next, and shaking her till she woke, she said, Get up, you lazy thing, and fetch some water to cook something good for your brother, who must remain in that stall and get fat. When he is fat enough, I shall eat him. Gretel began to cry. But it was all useless, for the old witch made her do so as she wished. So as a nice meal was cooked for Hansel, but Gretel got nothing else but crab claw. Every morning, the old witch came to the cage and said, Hansel, stretch your finger that I may feel 
whether you are getting fat. But Hansel used to stretch out a bone, and the old woman, having very bad sight, thought it was his finger, and wondered very much that it did not get fat. When four weeks had passed, and Hansel still was quite lean, she lost all patience and would not wait any longer. Grethel, she cried out in a passion, get some water quickly, be Hansel fat or lean, this morning I will kill and cook him. Oh, how the poor girl, the poor little sister grieved, and she was forced to fetch the water, and how fast the tears ran down her cheeks. Dear God, dear good God, help us now, she exclaimed. Had we only been eaten by the wild beast in the wood, then we should have died together. But the old witch called out, Leave that noise. It will not help you a bit. So in the early morning, Gretel was forced to go out and fill the kettle and make a fire. First we will bake, however, said the old woman. I have already heated the oven and kneaded the dough. And so saying, she pushed the poor Gretel up to the oven, out of which the flames were burning fiercely. Creep in, said the witch, and see if it is hot enough, and then we will put in the bread. But she intended, when Gretel got in, to shut the oven and let her bake, so that she might eat her as well as Hansel. Gretel perceived what her thoughts were, and said, I do not know how to do it. How shall I get in? You stupid goose, she said. The opening is big enough. See, I could even get in myself. And she got out and put her head into the oven. Then Grethel gave a purse so that she fell right in, and shutting the iron door, she bolted it. Oh, how horrible, she howled, but Gretel ran away and left the ungodly witch to burn to ashes. Now she ran to Hansel, and opening his door, called out, Hansel, we are saved, the old witch is dead. So he sprung out like a bird out of his cage when the door is opened, and they were so glad that they fell upon each other's neck and kissed each other all over again. And now, as there was nothing to fear, they went into the witch's house, where in every corner was caskets full of pearls pearls and precious stones. There are better than pebbles, said Hansel, putting as many into his pocket as it would hold, while Grethel thought, I will take some home too, and filled her apron full. We must be off now, said Hansel, and get out of the bewitched forest. But when they had walked for two hours, they came to a large piece of water. We cannot get over, said Hansel. I see no bridge at all. And there is no boat either, said Grethel. But there swims a white duck, and I will ask to help us over. And she sang, Little duck, good little duck. Grethel and Hansel, here we stand. There is neither stile nor bridge. Take us on your back to land. So the duck came to them, and Hansel sat himself on, and bade his sister sit behind him. No, answered Grethel, that will be too much for the duck. She shall take us over one at a time. This the good little bird did, and when both were happily arrived on the other side, and had gone a little way, they came to a well-known wood, which they knew the better every step they went, and at last they perceived their father's house. They began to run and burst into the house. They fell upon their father's neck. He had not had a happy hour since he had left the children in the forest, and his wife was dead. Grethel shook her apron, and the pearls and precious stones rolled out of the, rolled out upon the floor, and Hansel threw down one 
handful after another, out of his pocket. Then all sorts, then all sorrows were ended, and they lived happily in great happiness. My tale is done. There runs a mouse. Whoever catches her may make a great cap out of her fur. Thumbling by William and Jacob Grimm Once upon a time there lived a poor peasant who used to sit every evening by the heath poking the fire while his wife spun. One night he said, How sad it is that we have no children. Everything is so quiet here, while in other houses it is so noisy and merry. Ah, sighed his wife, if we had but one and were he no bigger than my thumb, I should still be content and love him with all my heart. A little while after, the wife fell ill, and after seven months the child was born, who, although he was perfectly formed in all his limbs, was not actually bigger than one's thumb. So they said to one another that it had happened just as they wished, that they called the child Thumbeline. Every day they gave him all the food he could eat. Still he did not grow a bit, but remained exactly the height he was when he was first born. He looked about him, however very knowingly, and showed himself to be a bold and clever fellow, who prospered in everything he undertook. One morning the peasant was making ready to go into the forest to fell wood, and said, Now I wish I had someone who could follow me, follow me with the cart. Oh, father, exclaimed Thumbeline, I will bring the cart. Don't you trouble yourself. It shall be there at the right time. The father laughed at this speech and said, How shall that be? You are so too small to lead the horse by the bridle. That matters not, father. If mother will harness the horse, I can sit in his ear and tell him which way to take. Well, we'll try for once, said the father. And so when the hour came, the mother harnessed the horse and placed Thumbelina in its ear and told him how to guide it. Then he set out quite like a man, and the car went on on the right of the road to the forest. And just as it turned the corner, Thumbling called out, Steady, steady, two strange men met it, and one to the other, My goodness, what is this? Here comes a cart, and the driver keeps calling to the horse, but I can see no one. That cannot be all right, said the other. Let us follow to see where the cart stops. The cart went on safely, deep into the forest and straight to the place where the wood was cut. As soon as Thumbling saw his father, he called to him, Here, father, here I am, you see, with the cart, just take me down. The peasant caught the bridle of the horse with his left hand, and with his right took his little son out of its ear, and he sat himself down merrily on the straw. When the two strangers saw the little fellow, they knew not what to say for astonishment, and one of them took his companion aside and said this little fellow might make our fortune if we could exhibit him in the towns. Let us buy him. They went up to the peasant and asked, Will you sell your son? We will treat him well. No, replied the man. He is my heart's delight, and not to be bought for all the money in the world. But Thumbling, when he heard what was said, climbed up his father's skirt and set himself on his shoulder and whispered in his ear, Let me go now, and I will soon come back again. So his father gave him to the two men for a fine piece of gold, and they asked him where he would sit. Oh, replied he, put me on the rim of your hat, and then I can walk around and survey the country. I will not fall off. 
they did as he wished, and when he had taken leave of his father, they set out. Just as it was getting dark, he asked to be lifted down, and after some demur, the man whose hat he was on took him off and placed him on the ground. In an instant, Dumbling ran off and crept into a mouse hole where they could not see him. Good evening, masters, he said. You can go home without me, and with a quiet laugh, he crept into the hole further. The two men poked their sticks into the hole, but all in vain. Thumbling only went down further, and when it had gotten quite dark, they were obliged to return home full of vexation and with empty pockets. As soon as Thumbling perceived that they were off, he crawled out of the hiding place and said how dangerous it is to walk this field in the dark. One might soon break one's head or legs, and so saying he looked around and by great good luck saw an empty snail show. God be praised, he exclaimed, here I can sleep securely, and he went in, just as he was about to fall asleep, he heard two men coming by, one of whom said to the other, how shall we manage to get at that parson's gold and silver? That I can help tell you, interrupted Thumbling. What was that? exclaimed the thief, frightened, I hear someone speak. They stood still and listened, and then Thumbling said, take me with you, and I shall help you. Where are you? asked the thieves. Search on the ground, and mark where my voice comes from, replied he. The thieves looked about, and at last they found him and lifted him up in the air. What will you help us? What will you help us, you little white? said they. You not see I can creep between the iron bars into the chamber of Parsons and reach out to you whether you require? Very well, we shall see what you can do, said the thief. When they came to the house, the thumbling crept into the chamber and cried out with all his might, Will you have all the that is here? The thief were terrified and said, Speak gentle, or someone will awake. But thumbling fright not to understand and exclaimed louder still, Will you have all that is here? This awoke the cook, who slept in the room, and sitting up in her bed, she listened. The thieves, however, had run back a little way, quite frightened, but taking courage again, and thinking the little fellow wished to tease them. They came and whispered to him to make haste, and hand them out something. At this, Thumbling cried out still more loudly, I will give you it all, only put out your hands in, and listening, and listening made her this clearly, and springing out of bed, hurried out the door. The thieves ran off as if they were pursued by some, by the wild huntsman, but the maid, as she could see nothing, went to strike a light. When she returned, Thumbling escaped without being seen into the barn, and the maid, after she had looked around and searched in every corner without finding anything, went to bed again, believing she had been dreaming with her eyes open. Meanwhile, Thumbling had crept into amongst the hay and found a beautiful place to sleep where he intended to rest till daybreak and then go home to his parents. Other things, however, was he to experience, for there is so much tribulation and troubling going on in this world. The maid got up at dawn, at dawn of day to feed the cow. Her first walk was to the barn, where she took an armful of hay and just the bundle where the poor Thumbling lay asleep. He slept so soundly, however, that he was not conscious, and only awoke when 
he was in the cow's mouth. Ah, goodness, exclaimed he. However, he came into this mill. But soon he saw where he really was, and then he took care not to come between the teeth, and presently slipped quite down, quiet down the cow's throat. Where there are no windows in this room, said he to himself, and no sunshine. I brought no light with me. Overhead, his quarters seemed still worse, and more than all, he felt his room growing narrower and narrower, as the cow swelled more and more hay. So he began to call out in terror, as loudly as he could, Bring me no more food, I do not want any more food. Just then the maid was milking the cow, and when she heard the voice without seeing anything, she knew it was the same she had listened to in the night. She was so frightened that she slipped off her stool and overturned the milk. In great haste, she ran to her master, saying, Oh, Mr. Parson, the cow has been speaking. You are crazy, he replied, but still he went himself into the stable to see what was the matter, and scarcely had he stepped in when Thumbeline began to shout again, Bring me no more food, bring me no more food. This terrified the parson himself, and he thought an evil spirit had entered into his cow, and so he ordered her to be killed. As soon as that was done, and they were dividing the carcass, a French fresh accident fell before Tumbling, for a wolf who was passing at the time made a snatch at the cow and tore away the part where he was stuck fast. However, he did not lose courage, but as soon as the wolf had swallowed him, he called out, he called out from inside, Oh, Mr. Wolf, I know a capital meal for you. Where is this to be found? He asked the wolf. In the house by the meadows, you must creep through the gutter, and there you will find cakes and bacons and sausage, as many as you can eat, replied Thumbling, describing exactly his father's house. The wolf did not wait to be told twice, but in the night crept in and ate away in the larder to his heart's content. When he had finished, he tried to escape by the way he had entered, but the hole was not large enough. Thereupon Thumbeline, who had reckoned on this, began to make tremulous noise inside the, wolf's po inside the poor wolf, screaming and shouting as loud as he could. Will you be quiet, said the wolf? You will awake the people. Ah, what, cried the little man, since you have satisfied yourself, it is my turn now to make merry. And so he set up louder howling than before. At last his father and mother awoke, and came to the room, and looked through the chinks of the door, and soon as they perceived the rages the wolf had committed, they ran and brought the axe, his, his, he brought the man his axe, and the woman the scythe, stop you behind, said the man, as they entered the room. If my blow does not kill him, you must give him a cut with your weapon, and chop off his head if you can. When Thumbeline heard his father's voice, he called out, Father, dear, I am here, in the wolf's body. Heaven be praised, said the man, full of joy. Our dear child is found. And he bade his wife take away the scythe, lest it should do any harm to his son. Then he raised his axe and gave the wolf such a blow on his head that it fell dead, and taking a knife, he cut it open and released the little fellow, his son. Ah, said he, his father, what trouble we have had about you. Yes, father, replied Thumbling, I have been traveling a great deal about the world. Heaven be praised. I breathe fresh air again. Where have you been, my son? He inquired. Once I was in the mouse hole, once inside a cow, 
and lastly inside that wolf. And now I will stop here with you, said Thumbeline. Yes, said the old people, we will not sell you again for all the riches of the world. And they embraced and kissed him with great affection, and they gave him plenty to eat and drink, and new clothes made for him, and his old ones were worn out with traveling. Well, I want to thank you guys for listening to uh, this ep- this podcast episode of uh, the Junior Classics Volume 1, Fairy and Wonder Tales. And I'll see everyone next week. Thank you for viewing this Life to Tape video. Life to Tape is part of Fotations, and if you'd like to help, you can visit FotationsDonation.com, where there are ways you can support financially or by donating equipment. If you'd also like to support on social media, that helps out a lot. There's more information on our social media accounts in the links below. Thank you. Bye-bye.